0: This is section 238 of Mark Twain, The Complete Interviews. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Interview number 238, Isidore Harris, A Prince of Humorists, Interview with Mark Twain. Great Thoughts from Master Minds, October 5th, 1907, pages 136 to 138. Read by John Greenman. It is not easy at any time to secure an interview with Mark Twain. The difficulties were well-nigh insuperable on the occasion of his recent visit to England. He has denied himself to most interviewers ever since he reached the age of seventy two years ago, when he publicly announced that he would never again hold forth on any stated subject unless he had given that subject proper reflection beforehand this announcement was intended to keep interviewers at a distance since they seldom give the person interviewed an opportunity of thinking out what he has to say as he humorously remarked even on such a subject as the weather when i feel inclined to observe to mr ashcroft my business representative and traveling companion that it is a fine winter morning i believe it's supposed with you to be midsummer i hardly like to commit myself to such a statement without adequate preparation while he was in england an enterprising newspaper asked him for an interview which they wished to marconograph to some american liners in mid-ocean why that's work replied mark twain and i've retired from work long ago all the same, the great humorist has not exactly retired. At the present time he is engaged in writing his autobiography. One of the most interesting chapters in this work will be the last, containing the experiences and impressions of his latest visit to England. Was your visit to England in 1897, on the occasion of the diamond jubilee of the late Queen Victoria, the last time you visited this country, I asked? Not exactly. On that occasion I made a trip round the world, which occupied three years, and I returned to England, so I was here three years ago. And you have noted a good many changes that have come about in the appearances of things since that time? <laughs> Indeed I have. Seven years ago there were no motor-buses and motor-cars, and very few electric vehicles today people seem to ride nothing else and concurrently with this change i have observed a noticeable absence of bicycles when i was here before all sorts of people used bicycles even titled persons did not disdain them but now if they are used at all it is only by the humbler classes. It has struck me also that London has been greatly altered and beautified in the meanwhile. The Strand, with the King's Way thoroughfare, and the neighborhood of Pall Mall have been changed out of all recognition. New hotels and playhouses have sprung up, new thoroughfares and palatial public offices, vast series of flats have been erected, and altogether London is becoming a second Paris. Yesterday afternoon, being one of the few lovely days with which we have been favored of late, I drove out to Dollis Hill, which I used to know as the occasional summer residence of mr gladstone it has now become a public recreation ground but it struck me as being if anything more beautiful than it ever was i have not had any occasion to go eastward into the city so i am unable to say what changes have been made there but you appear to have been almost everywhere i have done and seen a great deal i have been to windsor where as you know i was received by the king and queen i have been to oxford to receive my degree by the right of which i am privileged to doctor the english literature as much as i please at stratford-on-avon i visited shakespeare's birthplace and miss marie corelli i have been the guest of the pilgrims and the savages and of my american fellow-citizens at the cecil on the occasion of independence day how does the welcome you have everywhere received strike you i feel it has been a welcome of sincere admiration and love and not a merely polite reception and it has often occurred to me that visits such as i and other public men from time to time pay to your country do more to cement good fellowship between nations than any number of hague conferences and ambassadorial negotiations but this conversation is getting rather too egotistical you had better ask mr ashcroft what he thinks of the effect of my visit i think said mr ashcroft that the english race have been led to realize more fully even than they did before that they are part owners with the american nation of mark twain it will probably surprise many readers to learn that mark twain prefers to be considered as before all things a philosopher and only secondarily as a humorist his polemic against Christian science, though humorously written, he regards as a serious piece of work. And he is careful to explain that he does not condemn Christian science out and out. There is something in the theory that mind can exert a powerful influence upon the body in conditions of disease. A striking instance of the power of mind over body came under his notice in the course of his early experiences as a Mississippi pilot, the boat on which he was voyaging collided with another vessel the crew rushed to the other end of the boat for safety and no one ran faster than a helpless cripple who threw away his crutches and just raced for his life the underlying idea of christian science is right enough it is the use which people have made of it which is all wrong mrs eddy and her satellites have exploited it as a business proposition for all and much more than it is worth and it is their dishonest methods which one of the most upright of men has lashed with all the power of his scornful humor mark twain does not even believe that science and health was written by mrs eddy the known and undisputed products of her pen he says are a formidable witness against her i think she has been claiming as her own another person's book and wearing as her own property laurels rightfully belonging to another person why has not that other person protested against such literary piracy i ask because her work was not exposed to print until after he was sagely dead speaking of the innocents abroad mark twain assured me that this one of his most humorous books was taken so seriously by a prominent english journal when it first made its appearance that the review proved to be more deliciously funny than the book itself the ingenuous critic charged mark twain with displaying shocking ignorance and an utter disregard of truth now what the american writer had to say about his own country was both interesting and instructive as for instance when he mentioned the quite new fact that in america the small farmers carry their farms away on wheelbarrows overnight to avoid paying the taxes i should think that was a new fact said mark twain considering i made it up myself and the reviewer took it for gospel truth because it referred to america which i was supposed to know all about nor was this writer alone in taking the innocence abroad seriously the first time i visited england was in eighteen seventy two it was while i was riding up in the train from liverpool to london thoroughly enjoying the novel scenery that i observed my fellow passenger he was so painfully absorbed in a book he was reading that he never once looked up curious to know what it was that could so take a man's attention to the exclusion of everything else i looked over his shoulder and discovered that he was reading the innocents abroad from that time i felt miserable the man looked so solemn, and I had intended that book to make people laugh. Just as I wished that I was anywhere but sitting next to such a serious personage, the train slowed down. As we arrived at Crewe, my fellow-passenger appeared to have reached the end of his volume. He put it in the rack and jumped out now i thought i should be able to resume the interrupted enjoyment of the scenery but alas presently he returned reached into his handbag for the second volume and all the way up to london he continued to read but never smiled neither did i talking of humor says mark twain there is no success in the literature of fun equal to what is attained by ignorant school children without intention of being funny in their heroic efforts to set forth hard facts and sober statistics as for instance when a pupil sets forth the following meanings of words amenable anything that is mean Plagiarist, a writer of plays. Equestrian, one who asks questions. Mendacious, what can be mended. Irrigate, to make fun of. Emolument, the headstone to a grave. Parasite, a kind of umbrella. Tenacious, ten acres of land. Or his knowledge of mathematics in this form. A straight line is any distance between two places. Parallel lines are lines that can never meet until they run together. Things which are equal to each other are equal to anything else. A circle is a round straight line with a hole in the middle or his conceptions of geography thus the united states is quite a small country compared with some other countries but is about as industrious russia is very cold and tyrannical the two most famous volcanoes of europe are sodom and gomorrah climate lasts all the time and weather only a few days. End of interview number two hundred and thirty eight, read by John Greenman.